The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 22. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of you who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that they have loved, I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come to the, on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can come cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those who I'm lo whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Felix. Good morning. My name is Sue Collinson, for any who don't know me, and I'm on the team here. In fact, I trained as a lay minister with one of the grannies, so it's lovely to see you here this morning. I'm not uh, going to pretend to you. We've been thinking a lot about honesty and integrity these last few weeks, haven't we? And I'm not going to pretend to you that reading and studying Revelation is an easy task. There are no beasts and dragons this week, but there will be in the summer. And there are parts of Revelation that are really difficult to understand. There are parts that are complicated and parts we struggle with, parts that are shocking. But these words were written 
for a particular group of people in a particular place. But by God's grace, they are also written for us. It's as though when we read them today in 2022, we believe that the Spirit of God breathes into these ancient words, words that have been translated many, many times over many years. The Spirit of God breathes into them and brings them alive for us this morning. So let's pray just that. <clears throat> Spirit of God, we pray that you would speak the words of Jesus to us this morning. Amen. So John, the author of Revelation, is writing to these seven congregations, this church in what is now modern-day Turkey. And we sometimes call them seven letters, but in fact the whole of Revelation is a letter. So these are seven specific messages to seven congregations. And the order in which they come is logical. If we could have the first slide, that would be great. You can see the map here. And uh, you can see that John is writing to them in turn, just as if you were visiting them. So after Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, he turns his attention to the church in Philadelphia. And the words he writes have authority. They have authority because of who they come from. They come from God, the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. These titles that John chooses are echoes of the names of God from the Old Testament. And this holy and true God sees and he knows. He knows well the church in Philadelphia. Interestingly, there are just two churches, two congregations, where there is no rebuke in the message. This is purely a message of encouragement. The Christians in Philadelphia at that time were feeling weak. They had little strength. And that's interesting because the place itself was quite a vulnerable place physically. It was prone to earthquakes. So the insecurity that they are feeling in their congregation resonates with their situation. But despite their weakness, they are persevering. You have kept my word. You have kept my command to endure patiently. They have remained faithful to Jesus. They have not denied him. We think some of this insecurity and weakness might have come from tension between the Jewish community in Philadelphia and the Christian community. There are two places, Smyrna and Philadelphia, where John mentions Jews specifically. And in those two places, the two worshipping communities would have been very closely related, overlapping, as, as it were. Some Jews had accepted the claims of Christ and become Christians, and some Jews had not. So the encouragement 
for these Christians is about who Jesus is. He is the one who holds the key of David. He is the one who opens the door that no one can shut and shuts a door that no one can open. John is describing Jesus here as the one who gives access to God, the one who opens the door to God's presence, to a life with God. He is encouraging his readers to persevere in their faith in Jesus. He's saying it is worth it because it is Jesus. And the crux of this faith, their faith and our faith, if you share it, is that they are loved. I will make those who oppose you come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That is the crux of their faith. They are loved. And then John shows us an amazing picture of what it means to be part of this community of love. He shows us this uh, picture of what it looks like to be in a worshipping community. And he describes these Christians as being pillars in the temple of God. You can leave the map, don't worry. (laughs) Thanks. Excuse me. So he says, you will be like pillars in the temple of the living God. Not just a part of the temple, but a pillar, a picture of strength. In their weakness, in their apparent weakness, Jesus wants us and them to know that our strength is in him. Now, we have to wait till the end of the series to really unpack what this looks like. But I'll say here, The Bible starts in a garden, and it ends in a city. And the city does not have a temple. The city does not have a temple because God is in the city. And we, the worshippers of God, are the temple. And then John gives us a little tiny detail, a beautiful detail, about this worshipping community, about us the worshippers of God. He says we are given a new identity. And this is not just spoken over us. This is written on us. We will have the name of God written on us as a sign of ownership that we belong to God. In the temples of that day, names of deities were written on the pillars in the temple. And here, John is using that symbol and turning it around and saying that the name of God will be written on us. That is, as though the character of God, who he is, will be given to us. The new name he talks about is the secret name. Secret as in to be revealed. And it's mentioned in chapter 19 of the book. The secret name of God is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So in our weakness, we can have great confidence. Confidence not just not in ourselves, but in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because he is coming back to reign over us.
Now, <clears throat> the church in Laodicea gets a very different message. The second part of our reading is probably one of those parts of Revelation that is perhaps the most well-known, but also perhaps the most misunderstood or misread. And this is because of this little word, lukewarm. When we think of lukewarm, it's easy for us to think of it meaning sort of half-hearted. It's sort of in between passionately for something and passionately against something. But we must be careful uh, that we don't read our own interpretation of what a word means into an ancient text. It's important for us to think about what would the people there then have heard when they read the word or when they heard the word lukewarm. <coughs> so if we read it carefully, we notice it says, in fact, you can have your Bibles on your phones or open in front of you. It's we're on the page 1,235. Uh, if we read the verse carefully of verse... Let me just find it. Yeah, verse 15. He says, You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were either one or the other. So it doesn't really make sense to think of lukewarm as being half-hearted towards Jesus, because surely it's better to be a little bit warm towards him than stone cold. So if we think about what perhaps that word meant to the people of uh, Laodicea of the time, and this picture is going to help us, thanks. This is a picture of Pamulike as it is now, which is in Turkey. I've been there actually many, many years ago, uh, but at the time, this was called Hieropolis. And Hieropolis was about, uh, I don't know how many miles actually, but it was a few miles away from Laodicea, the place that we're thinking about today. And what's interesting is about the water supplies in those places. Do excuse me if this is already familiar to you, but Laodicea got their water from either Heropolis, which is uh, a place of hot springs, or they got their water from Colossae, 10 miles away, which is a place of cold springs. And what happened is the city of Laodicea had massive aqueducts, and they got their water either from the cold springs of Colossae or the hot springs of Heropolis. So, of course, as the water traveled to them, it became lukewarm. The water, the cold water warmed up, as it were, and the hot water cooled down. Now, we know, don't we, that hot water is good for something. Hot water is healing, it's therapeutic, good for washing. And cold water is good for something. I've just had a sip. Cold water is refreshing, it quenches our thirst, but lukewarm water is pretty much fit for nothing. You can't do much with lukewarm water. And more to the point, because of the calcium deposits, you can see all the mineral in that picture, there was a lot of calcium carbonate that was um, in the pipes, in the water pipes. Because of all the deposits, the water pipes would get clogged up 
which would stop the water coming through. So this idea of lukewarmness is to do with ineffectiveness. It's to do with the fact that they were not being effective in their lives for Jesus. And uh, the word that is used here is very, um, very stark, let's say. Uh, next slide. Yeah, he says, if I drunk this lukewarm water, I would want to not just spit it out, but vomit it, it out. Sharp rebuke from Jesus. And again, as Brian reminded us, Jesus uses that sort of language quite a lot. In the Gospels, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. So this sharp rebuke to the church in Laodicea is not about the state of their hearts, whether they're warm-hearted or cool-hearted towards Jesus. It is about the fact that they are useless, that they have been called for a purpose, for a reason, to show people Jesus, but they have lost it. They are rebuking them. Jesus is rebuking them because they are not being the faithful witnesses he has called them to be. They are not living lives that point people to a God of love. They are not living distinctively. They've compromised with the culture around them. We can stop, we can get rid of the vomiting picture, thank you. <laughs> so, how has this happened? How has it come about that they have become so ineffective in their witness? Now, this is where I believe we need to sit up and take notice. It is their self-sufficiency that is their downfall. They say, I am rich, I have everything I need. That is a dangerous place to be, to see ourselves differently to how God sees us. It is a place of distorted reality, a place where perhaps we are dazzled by other things, things that we think will give us security and happiness. It's a dangerous place to seek our salvation from any other place other than God, because he is the source of all life. So Jesus says to them, as he says to us, come to me, buy from me, come and buy from me refined gold so that you will be rich, white clothes so that you will be dressed in righteousness, ointment for your eyes so that you will have faith to see the world as I see it. True, lasting wealth comes from God. True dignity and beauty and freedom from shame come from God. True healing for body and soul, they come from God. So this is a firm but a kind rebuke. And this sort of rebuke is part of what happens to us as we mature in our faith. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines those he loves. 
He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. None of us like to be told that we've got it wrong. None of us like to be told that we need to learn a lesson in humility and patience. Some of you might be aware that we have been going through quite a hard time as a family just recently. My husband Mark had a really nasty cycling accident and had a couple of operations. And then my dear mum and dad came to stay and my mum had a really nasty fall. So they had to prolong their visit for some time. Don't worry, things are a lot better now. But during this difficult time, I happened to read these verses in Hebrews 12. And they say, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. I'm not suggesting that God sent those accidents to us, but I truly do believe that if we submit to God, if we accept what is happening, and if we learn to listen to his voice in that, he will train us and help us grow in holiness. We will realize again what is important in life, who is the most important. So how do we respond? Jesus is offering us an invitation. And this is to every one of us sitting here this morning. We must remember that these words were written to a people in church, to a church community, and they are for us as well. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Jesus is inviting us to say yes to his dinner invitation. That is how we respond to Jesus. That is how we enjoy what it means to live for him. We say yes to having him in our lives. We say yes to enjoying time with him. We say yes to him being part of that private, intimate space, and also part of the hustle and bustle, burliness of everyday life. So being earnest and repenting is not about doing more. Saying yes to Jesus is not about doing more. If we are to be effective for him, then we are just to simply recognize our need for him, our need to be with him and to be close to him. He is the source of all that we need. So, may I ask you, what is the Spirit saying to you this morning? I don't know you intimately and personally, but Jesus does. And he knows your heart. He knows what you need to hear this morning. Perhaps it is those encouraging words that he spoke to the church in Philadelphia. Or perhaps he is asking you gently to 
open yourself to his company, to sit with him, to enjoy being with him again. Let's finish with a prayer. And also, may I encourage you, if God is speaking to you, I trust he is speaking to you, uh, if you want to pray into what he's saying, there will always be people to pray for you here at the end of the service. Do find somebody, or if you're joining us online, contact someone to pray into what the Spirit is saying to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do love you, and we want to love you more. Help each of us, I pray, to hear what your spirit is saying to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to find our strength in you, and help us to be effective bringers of life and love and hope to the world around us. Amen.